and welcome to our second podcast episode. This one, as we mentioned in the first one, is being in control, claustrophobia and fear. I'm joined today again by Grant. Uh, hello, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the first episode. Really looking forward to this episode because we have got a interview with Dr. Marty Saf, who is a clinical psychologist in the United States, and he has been involved with this for many years and various anxieties. So we're really looking forward to that. Yes. So as Grant said, this episode is our first interview and have a chat to him and just talk about from a clinical, like an actual psychologist side, the fear of flying and how that happens and what he does to help prevent it and how he helps his patients. Well, I want to know if fear of flying sort of like any other fear, if you can connect the fears as such, like if you can cure one fear, if you can use that same sort of method to cure the others, if they're all, all linked. Anything you're hoping to hear or want to hear about? Yeah, I agree with you because for us that enjoy flying, we understand why people have a fear of flying, but we don't really know the background as to why they have a fear of flying. And to me, it's simple in the respect that someone's had a bad flight and then that experience they take forward. But the more I read about anxieties and issues and then you start looking at people like claustrophobia or they've had some other event in their life and, and that can kind of like trigger a, a fear of going into an airplane or something like that. So on to the interview which we recorded earlier with Marty. Dr. Marty Safe, thank you very much for taking this opportunity to join us on the second episode of The Fearless Flyer. We have been doing a lot of research on this because we are learning a lot about anxiety and it's an area you specialize in. I think James had a question to start off. What brought you into sort of clinical psychology? That's because it's quite a niche sector, especially if you're specializing in sort of fears. Like, what's was there like a sort of something that sparked your interest in it or brought you into this? Well, my interest was my own anxiety when I was younger. I was uh, very anxious growing up, and one of the most difficult things for me, as a matter of fact, was was flying. I was terrified of a bunch of different aspects of flying, which we'll get into later on. But I essentially went into this field to try to cure myself. And I tell people that I turned my disability into a pretty comfortable career in some way. That's really what sparked my interest and what motivated me and what, and what allowed me to proceed in the way that I did. Just at what age and the fundamental part of how you had this anxiety about flying or this fear of flying, at what age and, and do you know what was the uh, catalyst for it to uh, happen or, or occur? Well, you know, it's actually a good question you're asking because in order to answer that question, I really have to back up and talk a little bit more about anxiety disorders as we understand them today. But it probably makes sense to talk on a more general sense because I think that would be more helpful to the people who are listening, an overview perspective. So essentially, any sort of anxiety disorder is a product of a variety of different influences. There are certainly genetic influences, the ability to, or the tendency to feel a certain type of panic anxiety and to have also another trait is to have a, uh, what's called a sticky mind where your mind gets set on things and they loop and worry about things. Those two tendencies tend to run in the family. They are heritable or inherited in some way, but that is not enough because there's all, you also need to have some sort of environmental factors. There are maturational factors, different types of anxiety disorders tend to emerge at different times in a person's life. So when you say what's the trigger, it's hard to know that. In general, when a person has both the biological 
and maturational and maybe environmental backings for that anxiety disorder tend to emerge at a result of the stress point in a life. So a birth, a death, a marriage, a divorce could be a good, it could be a good change. It could be getting a job promotion. It could be a bad change, losing a job. Stress affects the body. Good stress and bad stress affects the body in the same way. So during some transition points, plus certain phobias or certain anxiety disorders tend to emerge in certain times. So the most common sort of phobia that or fear of flying, for example, tends to emerge maybe the ages of 17 to 25. That's when panic disorder starts. We'll talk about that in a little way. Yeah. With the sort of the age range there, is there a reason why they only start when they're 17? Me and Grant were taking a guess the other day. I think it was just because of children sort of aren't as sort of educated on the topic and therefore just find it fun. I also think it as a child, as another thing we discussed, James, is that as a child, someone's taking care of you. It's when you have to have your own responsibilities and start taking care of yourself. I think Marty referred to in some of his writings, intrusive thoughts was one of the interesting articles I read that you'd written. And people start preying on it, but it starts going over in their mind. And I think some people probably get a bit carried away with it. Could that be a fair statement? I think think that's right. Let me generalize a little more. In general, there are two types of major anxiety issues. This is not necessarily what you're going to find in the DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic Manual of, of Psychiatric Disorders. Two general types of anxiety. People who have what's called panic disorder variations of that fear odd sensations. They're afraid of certain feelings in their body, in their head, and something, and they fear that it means something bad, that they're either going to something physically wrong with them or they're losing something like that. And those types of people, those people who develop that, there's a variety of different predisposing factors, but generally between the age of 17 and 25 is probably where the majority of them tend to emerge. Then there's a whole group of people who have fears that are based on fearful thoughts. Intrusive thoughts are one of them in some way. Those people are generally who, and those people can start at pretty much any age because there are people who are worried. They, their worry warts from the age of seven or eight. And they, they'll say, that I always worry. I always worry it just got worse. So they, they're triggered by the thought, what if? What if something goes wrong with the plane? Or if I lose my mind, something like that in some way. So that's the original trigger. So there are two general types of anxiety disorders. They don't correspond to specific diagnoses, but there's some relationship between the two. And yes, the other point that you made is as we become more responsible or feel more responsible, say for other people or for ourselves, that can be also another kind of stress factor, mitigation. Uh, triggering factor. So you find lots of people who say, I really didn't give much thought to flying until I had kids. And now the thought of somehow the responsibilities that I have, it just freaks me out too much to go on a plane. Yeah, I can understand that. I mean, uh, you know, as we talked about in our earlier podcast, one of our first ones that James and I have just covered, it's not a natural thing to go flying. So people's minds can start wandering rather quickly. And you can see people overthinking things when they get on an airplane, because in essence, it isn't natural, is it? I was listening to you say, saying that people tend to overthink things. And I think that's very true. However, I do think that there is a qualitative difference between people who are, it goes into the how, how to quantify the level of anxiety, between people who are, don't like flying or uncomfortable about flying or have some sort of fear of flying 
and those people who might come and see someone like me, okay? And, and let me explain the difference to you. There are plenty of people, if you ask them, do you fear flying? There are lots of people who will say yes. We're really talking about people who, from a psychological point of view, they are afraid of the fear that they experience. And that's really a, a kind of sign between what we would call more normal anxiety. It's a little harder to talk about this in flying, but with more normal anxiety, because everyone has anxiety. I mean, I tell people that I have anxiety disorder specialists, and they say, oh my goodness, you could see anybody. I said, no, I actually see people who are really, really anxious. And those are people who are afraid of the fear. Okay. They're afraid of the fear. And that's, and people who are afraid of the fear, when I say that to them, they say, of course, that's exactly it. I'm afraid of getting the fear. So I am fearful that the fear will come and overwhelm me in some way. And then I'll go bonkers in some way. So I can't control it. feel overwhelming. So that's one of the things that, that differentiates between normal anxiety, which everyone has, and what I'm going to call an anxiety disorder. And most of the people who come and see me for their fear of flying are afraid of the fear. Okay. They, and that, and that process is triggered in some way by being on a plane. Why is it triggered? Because a plane, and actually, it, it really doesn't make sense to say fear of flying. It makes much more sense to say fears of flying because the flying experience is actually a confluence of a variety of different anxious sensitivities that people tend to have. That's one of the things that we try to introduce in one of the books that we have. I, may, I think it's on my website, but it's also in one of the books that we have where we say, listen, there's some people who are afraid of, you know, when people say they're afraid of flying, some people are afraid. There are various aspects of people who could be afraid of flying. And believe it or not, the people who are primarily afraid that the plane might crash, okay, which you would think would be, is, is actually a relatively small percentage of the people who avoid flying, okay? The vast majority of people who avoid flying, maybe two-thirds of them, are people who, don't get me wrong, that none of them are happy about the idea of airplanes crash. But most of them, the vast two-thirds of them, are afraid. They fear panicking while on the plane. And while they're on the plane, they're committed to that flight. They cannot get out. And so they say, oh, my God, I'm in this metal toothpaste tube flying at seven miles above the ground. And I feel like I'm not going to be able to stand it. I'm just going to freak out and go crazy and run amok and humiliate myself or maybe hurt myself or other people. That's yeah. the primary fear that people have. I was just going to say, do you find the people who come to you, do they, they fear the experience, as you say, but do you find they are more scared of the experience occurring? So like prior, when they're going to the airport or at home or planning their vacation, they're more scared of that experience than when they actually like have the experience. Same as sort of like a roller coaster when you're apprehensive standing in the line, but then when you get on. Well, that's an excellent question because the answer to that is yes. The fact is that, especially with flying, if you can, you can divide anxiety into various number of components. The one that is primarily sort of triggered 
by flying is anticipatory anxiety. And anticipatory anxiety is just what it sounds like. It's the anxiety that you experience in anticipation of doing something, like on a roller coaster, where you know that when you get on the roller coaster, it's going to be exciting, but you're kind of quaking a little bit. Like, I, I don't like heights. That's part of the fears that I have. So zip lining, waiting to get strapped into the harness, as soon as they let go, it's sort of, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's anticipated. And that's a typical thing. And one of the problems that you have with people who are afraid of flying, especially with all the security procedures, is that flying now becomes an all or nothing experience. In other words, from the point that you go through security and everything, you know, you either get on the flight or you don't in some way. And that sort of thing exacerbates anticipatory anxiety. But a person, you know, I used to run this really big fear of flying program. We used to fly together and I used to, there was a lot of education and information about how to cope with anxiety. I would say to them, listen, by the time a plane is in level flight, you will have experienced 75 to 80% of all your anxiety for, for both trips because we used to go round trip. But that's very hard to conceive because you believe that your anxiety is going to be worse if you say, why? I'm so nervous just on the line here thinking about it. When I get on it, I'm going to be really totally freaked out, but it works the other way. And that's one of the many ways which anxiety tricks people and tries to get them to avoid the source of whatever it is that you're doing. But it's a good question. Yeah, that's interesting because I had a look at your website and I hope you don't mind me sharing it with our listeners. You had a really good article there on about, about six passengers on a flight and you asked them four questions about whether they're afraid, anxious, I prefer to avoid flying. And they all had different answers for different disorders, which kind of like what you said a few minutes minutes ago, you summed up, it's not the actual fear of the flying itself. Flying brings a culmination of anxieties together to drive different emotions in people. That's right. And the point is, you can you could be sitting, you could be afraid of flying, sitting next to someone who's afraid of flying, and the triggers of their fear are totally different. So one of the things is that social anxiety disorder, which is defined as hypersensitivity to real or imagined criticism, can usually starts at age 12 or 13 or 14. Okay. So that starts very early. Usually it's yeah. a person that starts to realize in high school, in school, that they're afraid to sit in the class or they're afraid to go and do a presentation. Sometimes they stop, they stop going to school because they're so afraid to be with other people. And the first thing that parents learn about it is when the report card comes out and the kid is done really poorly. Why? Because he or she stops going to school on days that they have to either give presentations or talk with other people, whatever it is or something. That's yet another fear. And there are a bunch of different discrete anxieties, separate anxieties that you mentioned that are uh, highlighted in the website. Okay, so that's interesting. Doing our research into anxiety in your profession, they have four levels having anxiety, mild, moderate, severe, and panic. We were trying to quantify those for our listeners to see how they felt in an airplane because I haven't found anything that we can adapt to aviation. I'm just wondering if we could talk about those now to see if you think well, that the, the problem, let me, let me just look. I think I know what you're talking about. You see, what happens is that there's often a gap between research on one hand and the clinician on the other hand. And I think, as I remember it, those four categories were introduced in an article on um, fear of flying by Oaks and Boer, by these two psychologists. I think they're maybe British, maybe they're in London, London-based. And, and what they were trying to do is they were trying to do a study of the various studies of people who are flying, a meta-study it's called. 
And that was what they proposed. It doesn't correspond to real life. That's the problem. And I understand it because the fact is one of the things that you should know is that there are people who sometimes fly with moderate discomfort. Sometimes the next time they get on the plane, they're so uncomfortable, they run off. They can't even fly. They, they cancel their flight and vice versa. Sometimes they can't do it and, they, and then the next time they can do it. So it's very, very hard to quantify the level of anxiety for anything. Plus, a lot has to do with the motivation in some way. And self-reports are not reliable in some way. So the people that you would get to see at that stage, they're probably getting quite desperate because they're concerned about their reaction to their anxiety if they do happen to be forced onto an airplane. Yes, they may be afraid of their reaction. So, for example, you mentioned intrusive thoughts, which are thoughts that become stuck in one's mind and they create great anxiety. They can start to feel like impulse. So one young woman who I treat was afraid of going on a plane. Why? She's a sort of petite little lady. She's afraid that she's going to yell out on the plane, I'm a terrorist. And basically what that means, of course, is if she yelled it out, there's no recourse. You know, in the States, if you're a terrorist, they take you off the plane and they isolate you. That's one of her particular fears. She's afraid of what she might do, okay, in that sense. There are people who have obsessive compulsions, but actually does, but there are people who are afraid that they're going to get contaminated by the air. They, they wouldn't fly during the pandemic, of course, but yeah. that's part of the issue. Does that, does that address no, some? No, that's very good. I was just going to ask, do you think over the course of your career, you've seen sort of a societal change such as social media increasing and someone could say, go and tweet, I had such a bad flight, blah, blah, blah. And then someone who's scared of flying goes and looks at hashtag crap flight or what have you. And then it sort of exacerbates their fear because they've just they, they've got so much more access to sort of the same way uh, politics, how you can tweet and then it sort of radicalizes more and more people, uh, makes that fear greater just because of the access to being able to say that sort of stuff freely on the internet. I agree entirely, yes. So if you look at the statistics, let's just look over the last 30 years or so. You know, flying for the last 30 years or so has has been very safe for the entire time. But if you just look over the last 30 years, it's gotten even safer and safer, really. I mean, incredibly safe, even compared to 30 years ago. But the rise of social media means that people read instances and they go through what's called, what would it be like if I were in that situation? What would it be like if I were in that situation? And then it basically reinforces whatever tendency they have to fear. Okay. And I think that's absolutely true. Social media and the focus on the catastrophic elements of flying. And my God, I think that if the media focused on the catastrophic elements of car crashes and the way that they focused on the catastrophic elements of airplanes, that people wouldn't want to get in their car and drive to the next shop, really, next city. And it also speaks to the nature of who we are. We are terrible, terrible at knowing, at evaluating risks. We are terrible at evaluating risks. That's just the way our, our brain is built. Uh, yeah, you're right, because the sensationalism from the press is great at exacerbating that in our minds as well. I think James sort of uh, hit the bullseye with that. But since we're terrible at evaluating risk, I think that part of what it means then is that the single most common criteria for us to become comfortable with doing something 
believe it or not, is how frequently we do it. And if you you can even talk to people who seem to have objectively dangerous jobs, you know, people who paint the towers on buildings or people who are, or people just statistically who have more dangerous jobs, and you talk to them and they say, no, no, if you do it the right way, you know, it's fine. You're done. I, I, I don't feel like I'm taking this. So the fact is that the frequency with which we do something has much more to do with how comfortable we are. And conversely, when we're bombarded, certainly by social media or any kind of live or active, you know, hot media that somehow triggers us in some way, it has the capacity to, again, I think I use the word vicariously traumatized. We look at it, we get a reaction with it. Oh my God, suppose I was in that situation. Uh, have you looked at any, with the latest technology, any other solutions with technology to help people overcome their fear of flying, such as the use of uh, virtual reality or maybe simulators or computers? Well, if you know, I, yeah, I have. I kind of look, I, I comb that pretty much in terms of the New York City metropolitan area. And let me tell you part of the reason why is because I go back a long time and when we started out, for example, a flight, a shuttle flight between, say, New York and Washington, D.C., which would be a 40-minute flying time flight, the doors were open on these shuttle flights that fly every hour, and you would just get on the plane, and you would sit there, and then about 20 minutes before the plane was ready to take off, the flight attendant would come up, and with a credit card, with the old type credit card thing where you put the card in, and you have the thing, and you swipe it back and forth. You know, before it's all electronic, and you pay for the flight. And if patients, I was aware, if they were too anxious to take the flight, we'd get off and walk away, and, and there was no security to go through. There was no no one checked us. So a person had the opportunity to practice sitting on a plane without actually taking a flight. So there, that opportunity, of course, has all been gone away. The virtual reality programs that I've seen are extremely limited. If you look at them, they just don't seem very realistic. I've gone to the virtual reality programs, one, two, three, four. I've looked at four of them that are working in, in New York City area. One of the best ones is a privately owned program in which you sit in a room and they have fabulous speakers. So you're basically, the sound of the plane is like it shakes you up, you know, they, you, you, you know, they, so I'm not I'm not really fond of, of that. But the, in the New York City metropolitan area and throughout the world, I do like some of the flight simulators. They do have some of these Firebird flight simulators that are in some of the uh, smaller airports that people, they're basically flight trainers. And I like those because people can get on them and uh, and the pilot is sort of talking and they can simulate what it what bumpiness feels like, what turbulence feels like, what a landing, what a takeoff. Um, of course, they're doing it primarily. The major reason they have it is because they'd like to, it's part of the pilot training program. And ultimately, they'd like you to buy a pilot plane. <laughs> you know, but yeah. I like some of those. From our interaction with people trying to find people to come and have a chat with us who had a fear of flying, most of them were a event that had happened in an airplane. And there is one other person who we have spoken to who had an anxiety that you may be identified, but she was able to fly anywhere in the world with no problems. And she got divorced and was going through a divorce with a husband on the airplane. And she got on the plane and she said, I can't do this. And she hasn't flown for nearly 20 years. So it's like one of the anxieties. Well, I have a similar uh, story, which is maybe even clearer. There's a woman I was seeing, and she insisted that her fear of flying started when she was flying through, um, I would call it moderate turbulence, flying back from the Caribbean 
And when I sort of questioned her further, she then she realized that she was actually flying back from Haiti to get a quickie divorce from her husband. That was at least as much as the of the trigger as the idea, the change in her life as the uh, turbulence. Yeah. No one likes turbulence. I mean, no one that I see likes turbulence. My son, James, here, he was flying across. Uh, how old were you, James, when I took you to New Zealand from England? I think you're about um, eight as we were crossing eight. the... Yeah. Yeah, crossing. What, what kind of plane were you? Uh, we were in a seven four seven, and okay. we were getting knocked around around the equator. There's a thing called the intertropical convergence zone, but it causes a bit of turbulence, and you've just got to f- use the weather radar to go around it. But here, we had a fair bit of turbulence, and there were people shouting and screaming and praying, and then it all went very calm. And James, who's all about eight, starts shouting more turbulence, more turbulence, because he just thought it was a big ride. <laughs> the lady behind him nearly thumped them, but. Uh, he was very excited by it because he didn't know any better. I'd be curious, James, what do you think of turbulence now? Uh, yeah, I, I love it, really. <laughs> I, I, I was still the same reaction when we go through it. I, I do like it. I feel like it's just a lack of understanding on people's behalf. They knew what was really happening and knew the probability of crashing from turbulence was so minute they probably wouldn't have an issue with it if they truly understood it. And I just wanted to ask you. Uh, well, I just to, no, I, I keep your question in mind. But I just want to, certainly information is very important. And that's certainly a, a major component in getting over any anxiety. But you have to understand that certain people are afraid of the sensations that are created by the turbulence, the sensations of falling, even if it's falling for, you know, three feet, which would five feet, whatever it is, you know, the, the plane going up and down. And the interesting component is that one of the things that I do when we're going through not so just sort of very moderate turbulence, I'll and someone's really anxious, I'll go up and stand next to them if the the flight attendant will let me, but they kind of know me pretty well. And I'll shake the seat that they're on as much as I can. You know, and you can get a little bit of a shaking. And they don't like it. I say, why don't you like it? And they say, because I can't tell whether the shaking is from you or from the plane. And somehow they want to feel vigilant and hold on in some way with the fly, as if that's going to do it. So, so there's, some, there's a whole complicated reaction to that. And one of the things that we do is we explain to them that the danger of crashing doesn't increase, but your catastrophic thoughts increase in some based on that. And I was going to say, you said how back in the day, 20 years ago or so, you could go up onto the plane and then no, the person you're with... 30 years ago. 30 years. 30 years ago, they could get off the plane if they wanted right up until the doors close. And do you feel that now sort of every time they fly, because once you pass security, you're, just, you're thrown sort of in the deep end as such, is it helps them cure their fear quicker or is it easier when they could take smaller steps? Well, you know, the problem is that I think anything that's made more cumbersome increases the anticipation, right? I don't think it's helped. They don't take small steps because if they have to, they basically, I see a lot of people even, well, I stopped running this program maybe two or three years ago, but even three or four years ago, who had never been through security in their life. They had mm-hmm. never, they didn't understand it at all. They, it never occurred to them that, that, you know, the whole idea of going through that security, of, of having their, whatever they're carrying being searched, of not being able to bring their bottle of water. It just was bizarre to them in some way. Yeah, and I feel that's also not helping the issue is that the whole actual airport experience, which I've mentioned in a previous podcast, it's not just the, the flying as such as the whole, for a new flyer, the whole experience, especially so, it's a stressful one. Yeah. 
I did a bit of consulting for JetBlue, who were going to introduce nonstop flights between New York and London. That was the, so they had this experience and they wanted to try to change the airport experience in some way. So we did some experience with some of the staffing people there to try to figure out what the anxiety points were in some way. They understand that, that that's really part of the deal. When people get to the airport, they're very anxious. And you go into this sort of freeze mode in some way, and your brain, you get brain fog in some way. All the procedures that you need to do when you're at the airport seem twice as hard to do in some way. So to help people, help our listeners who might identify with a form of anxiety that's just not the actual fear of the airplane, but something like maybe the claustrophobia or something, you've got a fair bit of information on your website. Would it be worth them going to it? And could you give a little bit of brief information be, about it? I think that there are certain uh, well-defined steps in trying to overcome a significant fear. I've outlined them on the website, but let me let me also say something else. I think the key is to recognize that there, there's some general notions about anxiety. There's a lot of anticipatory anxiety with flying. I think it's important to learn as many facts as possible about flying because anxiety loves ignorance. Okay. It's ignorance is like a playground for anxiety. I think it's important to get an idea of what your particular triggers are and to learn to understand that the active ingredient for overcoming any sort of anxiety, including fear of flying, is exposure. And it, and it has to be done the right way. And that takes a little bit of thinking and hunting and figuring out how to do that. But listen, I want to tell you something. We started out talking about my own fears. When I was in my early 20s, I thought I'd never fly. Well, I haven't flown in a year <laughs> because of the pandemic, but I'm a really comfortable flyer. Marty, just on another subject that's really curious, because the people I've tried to speak to and get on to the podcast just to get their thoughts about having a fear of flying, females seem to be very forthcoming, but males don't. And I'm wondering whether it's a macho thing and females are more open. I would say that in my private practice with people who are afraid of flying, I have as many men as women. Okay, okay. So, so about 50-50. It's an equal part of the population. Well, some, some people say two-thirds women, but no one knows any real data. So, yeah. I mean, these are all people. These are, there, are, you know, there are no good epidemiological studies that indicate yeah. exactly what the percentage is. They don't differentiate fear of flying. Okay, it's, it's a compilation of, it's not a separate diagnostic category. And the only thing that speaks to fear of flying is that there is something called specific phobia and uh, aviophobia lives with that. That's very, very small percentage of people that need to criteria that. So what would be the highest out of the anxieties? And you have talked about a number of them. What would probably panic. be the highest, highest panic. percentage? Panic. 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 Oh. So people, people might describe it as I'm claustrophobic. Okay. Yeah. But claustrophobia is actually a term that refers to being afraid of enclosed in a specific place. So a more modern terminology would be, I have panic disorder with certain degree of avoidance. So I'm afraid. So a person, a person who is afraid of flying may, uh, who has that sort of thing, they may, they may be afraid to go through bridges. They may be afraid to take subways, you know, uh, metros, you know, they may be afraid to go on express trains. 
They might be afraid to, believe it or not, sit in the center of a crowded theater because they, it's all the sense that if they start to feel these terrible feelings of panic, how do they get out? How do they get relief? That's by, that's two thirds. And the triggers are being enclosed. People who are claustrophobic say, I would have no problem flying if, if I could just open the windows and get some fresh air. I mean, that sort of thing. Of course, that's silly. And then there's a whole variety of people who are afraid of heights and they know exactly who they are. You know, the people afraid of heights say, I would have no problem flying if the plane would just sort of fly maybe at treetop heights. They don't like the idea. That's the, that, that, that's the trigger for them. But then the fear is, I'm going to, what if I panic and freak out? Our podcast is trying to explain to people the basic operation of an aircraft from how wings flex testing through to turbulence and weather. Will that type of information at a basic level, do you think it might help reduce some people's Absolutely. anxiety? Absolutely. I remember that anxiety loves ignorance. So that's the notion. So the concept that a plane doesn't just fall out of the sky, the incredible simplicity of a turbine engine, because people say, hey, there are only two engines, how you can do that. I mean, all these, all these elements, the training that you have, the fact that you don't fly through thunder. I mean, just the whole aspect and the redundancies that go on. This is extremely helpful. I was just going to say, for the people um, out there, there's quite a sort of stigma around saying you have an anxiety. Is there a way for them to tell cabin crew or their friends and family, etc., that they have an anxiety order without saying it? Like, is there another name for an anxiety disorder? which they can bring up with those they want. Well, to. you know, people, you know, the, the more European term is I'm a nervous flyer. And that's understood. I mean, you can go to any, you get on the plane and you say I'm a nervous flyer. And uh, any staff member knows exactly what you're talking about. Okay. I found our cabin crew, even the younger ones, they're very good at reading people. And pretty much 99% of the time they're right. And they can pick out nervous flyers. And well, not, the- well I've had, you know, because I used to fly a lot. Lot with these groups of people, and there, there were some flight attendants there who I would have loved to hire as assistants. I mean, they were really great. They were just fabulous with these people who were getting pretty high levels of anxiety. We, when, for some reason, the route from Washington D.C. up to Boston is, is a is a fairly bumpy. I don't understand it, but it's it's a pretty bumpy flight. And so, for that reason, it's not uncommon to get pretty bumpy flights. Or just it might be you, Marty. You might be attracting the turbulence. I don't know. I hope so. One can only hope. Trying to make some sort of disturbance in the world. (laughs) Yeah, you can't have it smooth all the time. Oh, just lastly, uh, any last sort of pieces of advice for people who are scared of flying and contact you or. I'd rather they look at my website, yeah, but I get probably about 100 emails a day from people who are looking for help. Uh, okay. And I, so I'd rather they, oh, here's what you can say. They can look at my website. There's some resources on, a, on the website of the Anxiety Disorders Association of America, www.adaa.org. Also, as I say, we'll put in the show notes your website because you've got some excellent resources. Marty, thank you very much. It's been wonderful. And we hope to have you back on at a later date after you've listened to the pods and, and have you come back on and have a further chat if you'd be interested. It's been lovely Great to have you, have you today.
Wow, that was a really informative, interesting interview there. What did you think of that, Grant? Yeah, I thought it was a great interview. I didn't realise the levels and types of anxiety that were out there with regard to a psychological point of view, thinking it was just people that had a trigger point, like, say, a turbulence event or something, and that's why they didn't like flying or they didn't understand the aeroplane. But there's a whole lot of other anxieties and different issues. And as Dr. Marty says, you could be sitting next to someone that's freaking out for a completely different reason. So it was a real interesting eye-opener as to the types of anxieties. What did you think of it, James? Like You might not even know you have anxiety until another life event triggers that anxiety, such as the example we used of someone who went through a divorce, and only after they went through a divorce, they hopped on a plane and then got a fear of flying, and it came down to them going through the divorce. So I kind of found it quite interesting how um, these anxieties can be triggered not by that specific event. Yeah, that was interesting. We set up this whole podcast with the intention of helping people understand how an aeroplane works at a level that will hopefully reduce their anxieties. And Amadi did bring out in there, he said a couple of pertinent comments. And one was ignorance is anxiety's playground. And he also pointed out anxiety loves ignorance. And I think that's what we're trying to do in this whole podcast is to help people understand aviation a bit more. So it will hopefully reduce their anxiety levels. So with that in mind, we started off with this particular episode, we were going to call it being in control, claustrophobia and fear. But having had such a great interview with Marty for folk with any anxiety associated with flying, we've decided to rename it Anxiety Loves Ignorance. I think that pretty much sums up what we're trying to do here to help you guys out there listening to us overcome your fear of flying through giving you some more knowledge. So take a look at Dr. Marty's website. It's www.drmartinsafe.com and the doctor's spelled D-R and safe is S-E-I-F. And we will put that into the show notes. We'll have his link there as well. So that was great. Coming up, what's our next episode, James? Yes, so uh, episode three, we're going into aircraft design, uh, testing, and starting on the forces, uh, we're going into the lift. So that's going to be quite an interesting subject just to go into a more in-depth look into how aircraft are designed and how they are tested to ensure safety, because above all else, that's uh, the most of utmost importance. So I am looking forward to that episode. That should be very interesting. Anyway, uh, from me, it's a goodbye, and I'll see you again next episode. And from me, it's goodbye as well. Thanks for listening and look forward to hopefully having you listen to us on the next episode.